This is Tush. And I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop shop advocacy connection. Hey, 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 this is Jackie. My nickname is Tush, and this is my podcast, Tushalicious Talks. I am the co-president for the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma County. And today I have with me Veronica Leisure, who is the deputy director of CARE Oklahoma, and then Nicole Bauman, who is the advocacy coordinator also for CARE Oklahoma. And uh, if you two will introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do and what your position is. Sure. Um, I'll go first. This is Veronica. Um, I've been serving as the deputy director at CARE Oklahoma since uh, early last year. But uh, my primary function is to run the civil rights department, working with clients who've been victims of religious discrimination and harassment, as well as educating the Muslim community and the broader community on civil rights and how to advocate for ourselves against civil civil rights violations. Um, Nicole? Yeah, my name is Nicole. I'm advocacy coordinator. A lot of my work is focused on the legislative sessions. I'll be up at Capitol meeting with representatives on behalf of the community and making opportunities for them to also engage with their elected leaders. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I'm going to go ahead and thank Nicole for helping me at the parade on Monday. She was a volunteer for the Martin Luther King Parade and she helped me a ton and she had her cowgirl boots on and she's helping put the hay on the trailer. (laughs) And that was totally awesome because I was not prepared to do that. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, And so... um, We do have a little agenda here, but um, tapping into what Veronica said, you said that um, there are sometimes some civil rights issues. Can you um, give a little more detail into what happens in Oklahoma with civil rights issues? Sure. Um, Our primary function is working with the Muslim community, but we also support other religious minorities who face discrimination or harassment because of their faith. Um, I've worked with clients who face across the spectrum of civil rights violations, everything from uh, being uh, people refusing to hire Muslim employees because they don't wish to provide reasonable religious accommodations. We've looked at some bullying issues with Muslim students in public schools. We've seen, unfortunately, many Muslims, the victim of harassment, um, verbal abuse, physical abuse, um, even hate crimes in our state against Muslims and Islamic centers and religious communities. And so it's our job as an organization to make sure that those things are addressed properly, that all of the legal avenues are fully explored for our clients and that the community knows how to advocate for themselves in the event that these things happen and they don't happen to have a lawyer in their back pocket. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's. I mean, the whole situation is not awesome, but that's awesome that you guys help them because getting a lawyer is, yeah, it's a big deal in Oklahoma. So... Um, I went to your guys' website and um, I kind of copied and pasted, cut a little bit. But what I read was that um, Oklahoma took a monumental step following the United States withdrawal from Afghanistan. And Governor Stitt advocated for the resettlement of over 1,800 Afghan refugees in Oklahoma. But um, Oklahomans still need to go beyond acceptance and we need to fight for more access to, for all immigrants in our state. And um, I was wondering maybe how that relates to affordable housing and homelessness, because homelessness is a really big deal right now. I don't know if you guys watch the city council meetings, but that one in December, they were like, um, you guys need to handle this. Um, so and I know just for the general population in Oklahoma, there's so many dealing with uh, affordable housing right now. Um, and so 
um, just if you can condense it down for me and um, give me some insight into how it affects Muslim Oklahomans. Sure, absolutely. Um, So the arrival of 1,000 Afghans to Oklahoma City um, who all needed housing and other social support services really drew attention to some gaps in the social safety net that had been pre-existing, but this really shone a spotlight on things like the lack of affordable housing for our Afghan community, as well as other vulnerable and marginalized low-income Oklahomans. Mm -hmm. Um, The struggles range from uh, mainly it's a lack of units that are appropriate for large families that are available at prices that these families can afford. our Afghan neighbors were fortunate to get some rental assistance through community cares partners because of the circumstances under which they were brought here to Oklahoma City and also to Tulsa. Mm-hmm. However, that money doesn't last forever. And many of these families are working at low income jobs mm-hmm. due to um, struggles with English proficiency, lack of transportation, um, and the other struggles that recent immigrants often face. And so imagine trying to support a family of 11 or 12 on one minimum wage salary, even working full time, that just simply is not going to happen because we don't have units that are that big. um, And the prices for larger units are just out of reach for families like this. And so Oklahoma families have been struggling with this for decades. This is not new by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, But our Afghan neighbors, the attention that has been paid to their struggles because of their circumstances have really made it clear to Oklahoma City residents and Oklahomans broadly that we are in a housing crisis. Oklahoma City and Tulsa are both at 98 or 99 percent rental capacity. There just aren't units and they aren't priced for people to afford. Um, And so in addition to the struggles that low-income Oklahomans face, our Afghan community are facing wage insecurity, language barriers, um, even just the cultural differences of understanding how to lease a unit from a landlord who may or may not be particularly sympathetic to their struggles. Mm, Very interesting. Very interesting. And there's probably discrimination amongst that as well. We've been very fortunate um, and our partners who are really the core resettlement team have not seen a ton of discrimination in the initial leasing process. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma and Oklahoma City especially really rallied when we realized we were going to receive this large of a number of our Afghan neighbors. Mm -hmm. And so fortunately at at the initial stages, um, landlords, property owners, and really the whole community were so excited to be a part of this, this mission. However, um, we don't know how long that goodwill will continue. There are definitely signs that uh, the welcome has worn out. Once and the so, money ran out. <laughs> and so we're, we're very concerned about what happens to these new neighbors um, when community cares dollars run out, when they have to figure out how to renew a lease at a rate that they just simply cannot afford. And so what is really upsetting and really uh, is really troubling these families were uprooted from their homes. Yeah. They had to flee unimaginable violence and fear um, and destruction in their home country, a country that has been at war Mm -hmm. for most of the past 50 years. And now after having resettled and tried to rebuild their lives, we may be soon seeing hundreds of homeless Afghan families because of the rental crisis and because there is just not affordable housing and it doesn't seem to be the political will to solve this long, deeply rooted problem. Yeah, yeah, which is this within itself. Yeah, I, I don't know how to solve the affordable housing thing. Um, I'm definitely, if anyone on that live has suggestions, that uh, Oklahoma does need suggestions because, like I said, it's not just the 
Muslim community, it's, it's so many people are suffering from affordable housing right now and evictions. I think, was it November we had the highest eviction rate in the history of Oklahoma? Yes, I that's believe. unfortunately true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so our partners in Pulsa down the turnpike have done a really phenomenal job of tracking evictions through the COVID pandemic. And that data is um, way, widely available um, from a variety of nonprofit partners. But what we have seen is that um, this is a problem that has been allowed to grow and become worse over time. And luckily, we are just now seeing some movement towards better housing policies um, from the state to the local level and even looking at some federal movement um, to provide more housing and to provide some stability for families, not only our Afghan community, but other low-income struggling families. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are in a deep hole when it comes to affordable housing. It's going to take quite some time for us to to get back out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would just say for people to attend your city council meetings, watch that city council meeting, I believe it's from December the 6th, and see how you can get involved in trying to, to better our uh, affordable housing and homelessness problem. Um, so I also noticed on your website that it says that you have policies that protect educators endeavors to broaden students' mind while maintaining the values of freedom. And so that made me think about House Bill 1775, which is the critical race theory bill. How does that affect the Muslim community in Oklahoma? Absolutely. I think... From our perspective, any attempts at police education, that harms everyone. Mm -hmm. For the Muslim community and any communities that are outside of the majority in this state, that's going to heavily impact them. So especially with critical race theory, one of the most popular human rights, civil rights, and Muslim activists, Malcolm X, that would eliminate any teachings about him, a lot of teachings surrounding the civil rights movement. So I think for our community and for other communities across the state, these attempts are going to disproportionately impact those communities and our community as well. Hmm, Very interesting. I had read a statement that said something like um, kids or students have the right to a comfortable education. And um, so when I'm thinking of what you just said, that they won't learn about Malcolm X, but um, I don't know the name of the book, but I know I think two days ago, um, some fourth graders, um, my fourth graders came home and they were like, they had made us read a book today. And they said that it had the N word in it, but it it, it was Negro, <laughs> but they were still uncomfortable with it. So it's like, where's the balance between who gets to be comfortable and who is not comfortable with it? Because I'm 100% sure that my kids would be comfortable learning about Malcolm X in school. You know, he's an icon as far as um, the black community goes, and I'm sure the brown community goes. So, yeah, definitely. Um, do you guys plan on doing any advocating um, against House Bill 7775? Um, we're still exploring kind of the legal movement around this bill. Um, I definitely think from the perspective of an attorney uh, who works specifically in the civil rights world, I would I would say that this is an unconstitutional attack on the First Amendment in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Students have the right to a free and unfettered education and honest education. Um, when we talk about who is comfortable in the classroom, uh, black and brown students in Oklahoma have been made uncomfortable by their education 
for a very, very long time uh, by a, an education system that is dominated by one narrative mm-hmm. um, and one version of historical events that isn't really reflective of the reality that we're living today. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue that 1775 is an unconstitutional infringement on teachers' rights to speak and on students' rights to learn. We're still ex- exploring what that means for us as an organization. But um, I think our our position is certainly that we are always going to advocate for students to have the right to get a good education. It's the foundation for our community and for many other communities right. to achieve success and to make the impact that they wish to make in the world. Yeah. Out of curiosity, do you know how many Muslim teachers there are in Oklahoma? I don't think we do, but they are heavily represented in the teaching profession because it is uh, something that's very important has a very deep root in the faith mm-hmm. uh, community. So, yeah, I was just thinking about, um, you know, there's this argument for segregation. Um, they had to do, it had to do with uh, the Martin Luther King parade and so forth. And they were like, it's a conspiracy. And, you know, basically all of the black teachers were basically fired and put out of a job when integration occurred. And so um, it, and it makes the students um, uncomfortable, quote unquote, because, Um, If you have a black teacher, of course, they're going to care more and make sure that the black student has an education. So I'm sure that would be the same way for a Muslim student with a a Muslim teacher. So that's why I was I was just curious. So. Um, So as far as uh, voting rights goes, um, what, in your opinion, are the voter suppression efforts or laws that exist for Muslims in Oklahoma? As far as laws, I'm not a lawyer, um, but something we see a lot with our community is that most of the polling places are in churches, Mm -hmm. which if you're not a member of that church or you don't go to church often, can be very intimidating. Mm -hmm. In other states, there's issues with women who wear hijab, not being like they're being asked to remove it. A lot of going back to education, not everybody knows like you have to re-register if you're in a different location and trying to kind of keep up with ways that by not having a lot of education, not being very accommodating or having online options, people just kind of get oppressed in a different way that they don't Mm -hmm. know. And there's not a lot of advocacy or movement to be inclusive with voting. It's like, if you know, and you grew up knowing that because you grew up here, Mm -hmm. then you're ready to go. But for people who do not, people who are in a different community, they don't have that church connection, Mm -hmm. then it's just not as accessible. So, it would, and I'm. this might be a question for the county election board, but would a mosque be able to register as a voting precinct? I would believe so. Yes. Yeah, they absolutely, they absolutely would. Um, one of the big barriers um, that we've seen in the past is not because it's a mosque, it's um, ADA accommodations, m- m- mm-hmm. making sure a polling place is um, accessible to persons with disabilities mm-hmm. um, or with other physical challenges mm-hmm. and making sure that that is adequate. The standards are a little bit higher for a voting location than they would be for a house of worship. So um, there are some some issues like that that don't necessarily have to do with religious discrimination against a mosque. But um, I still think that's something worth looking at for mm-hmm. all people who care about religious diversity in the community. If voting is always associated with churches and therefore with Christianity, does voting feel accessible? Does it feel like a welcoming space Mm -hmm. for people who are not a part of that faith tradition? Mm -hmm. Um, What are we doing to make sure that people of all walks of life 
understand the importance of voting, mm-hmm. know how to vote, mm-hmm. and feel comfortable exercising their vote in a place where they may not look like the typical member of that congregation. Yeah. Yeah. Best of luck with that effort, you know, especially on behalf of the League of Women Voters. Mm-hmm. Vote, vote, vote. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I also read this thing called the Afghan Adjustment Act. And I would like to know what that is. And, <laughs> sure. Uh, what it has to do with Oklahoma. <laughs> sure. Okay. So in order to explain the Afghan Adjustment Act, I have to explain a little bit about immigration law. Okay. So typically, refugees settle in Oklahoma and in other states through a process that looks like this. Mm-hmm. They will have to leave their country of origin, um, usually due to conflict, violence, or famine, natural disasters, things like that, and they can't go back. So they'll be residing in a refugee camp for a period of years. From a refugee camp, they can apply for the status of refugee to the United States. And once that status is granted or they're they're given an approval, Mm -hmm. then they can get on a plane or come to the United States as a refugee. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of our Afghan friends were brought into the country under a different route. Uh, They were brought through a parolee program, a humanitarian parole program which gives them a status that is not the same as a typical refugee. So while many of our Afghan friends fit the dictionary definition of a refugee Mm -hmm. in that they were forced to flee their home and cannot return uh, due to fear of persecution or violence, they are not legally refugees. They're parolees. Parole is a temporary legal status that grants free uh, protection against deportation. It gives access to some limited state and federal benefits, um, but it is not permanent. In order to stay here permanently, they have to change their status using one of a few mechanisms that are available to them. The most common ones are asylum or a special immigrant visa. Um, Asylum is going to be the most common for many of our our cases. So asylum is a legal process by which someone who has fled from persecution and cannot return to their home reaches the United States and then tells the government, I cannot go back home. I cannot be sent back there because if I am, I will face torture, uh, violence, and death. Mm -hmm. So asylum is a status that's granted while the applicant is in the country. It is very expensive. The the asylum um, application system is heavily backlogged. Before we brought in our Afghan neighbors, there were over 400,000 asylum applications in the queue. And the overall immigration system is backlogged by over 1.4 million cases. Wow. And that's just the waiting period to have your case put in front of an actual person. Um, So that doesn't mean it's actually going to get approved. Correct. That just means you get eyes on the paperwork that you have submitted. Mm -hmm. So asylum is a time-consuming, expensive, and re-traumatizing process. It requires that people detail the fear of persecution and the persecution that they and their family have experienced. They have to relive their trauma more than three times, right? They have to do it for an attorney Mm -hmm. who's going to help them fill out the paperwork. Mm -hmm. They have to do it in front of a judge um, and in front of a translator. Mm -hmm. And they will, if their appeal is not granted, then Mm -hmm. they'll have second steps to appeal that decision. And they have to do it again and again and again. And we're talking about things like torture, like family members disappearing, people being murdered in front of them. And some of these are very young kids that will have to explain this. So all of that being said, the Afghan Adjustment Act would provide a pathway towards citizenship for our Afghan friends who were brought here under this parole program. It would negate 
the, the need for them to go through this expensive, uncertain, heavily backlogged asylum process and provide a clearer pathway towards permanent residency. This is not um, a, a completely new program. We've done similar adjustment acts in American history for our Vietnamese community who came here as refugees after the war, for Cuban and Haitian entrants who fled from the Castro regime. Um, this is not something that's without precedent in American history, but we just need for Congress to pass this adjustment act, which would provide the stability of permanent residency to these Afghans who came here through the parole program. Mm. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. But in order to understand kind of why it's so important, you kind of have to understand the mechanisms of immigration. Mm -hmm. um, and this is really important for a lot of Oklahomans because Oklahoma has many, many immigrants living here. It's important to understand uh, there are so many misconceptions mm -hmm. about immigrants and immigration, asylum and refugee status. And it's important for people to have that foundational understanding so that they can then ad advocate in an educated way for the adjustment. Act. Right. So if a person wanted to help you advocate for it, what would you like for them to do? Um, definitely contact our congressional delegates and tell them that we want the vote on the Adjustment Act. We want them to vote for the Adjustment Act. Um, and Nicole here uh, can help anybody uh, find out who your federal delegate is and how to get in touch with them. And we can help provide language, talking points, um, sample scripts, contact information, um, all of that stuff to help people advocate for this act. Cool, cool. Well, I will see if I can get it approved to add to the League of Women Voters website. I can't, it's not my decision, but I will definitely ask and see if we can do that on your behalf. So um, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Um, so my next thought when I was um, scrolling through your website, um, it was talking about criminal justice reform. And I know um, because the League of Women Voters is doing, um, we're advocating and trying to finalize our positions on uh, criminal justice reform. And so with a lot of the studies that we have done, um, and like even with the one that I wrote, um, and even before writing this, I just know that the Black community disproportionately suffers from long sentences, higher bails, uh, higher arrest rate. I mean, we can keep going and going and going. So, but what I don't know is how does that, where are the stats within the Muslim community for criminal justice disparities? Um, as far as the statistics themselves, I don't have the numbers, but we do know for the Muslim community, there are members who are Black as well. And there's, it's a very diverse community in some of, they face a lot of the same situations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then it might not necessarily come up that it's a religious um, prejudice or disparity. It's just basically skin color. So we just know that black and brown people have higher disparity numbers. Yes, um, we do know that because a significant portion of the Muslim community are Black Americans, mm -hmm. the statistics that affect all Black Americans, of course, affect them. And then on top of that, they will have the added burden of Islamophobia in addition to the anti-Blackness that they experience mm -hmm. through the criminal legal system. Um, everything from discrimination uh, based on their name, once they uh, 
are experiencing incarceration, we unfortunately know that incarcerated Muslims face very, very high rates of denial of access for their religious accommodations, not being able to fast during Ramadan, not being able to pray together on Fridays, not having appropriate space for congregational prayers. Mm -hmm. We've seen all of these things in the justice system, the criminal legal system. Um, I worked with um, a a client. There's a very, very prominent case where uh, a young Muslim man had been involved in um, a crime and had pled guilty uh, to his involvement in this. And it turned out that he had pled guilty because his attorney at the time said, uh, you do not have any other option except to accept this right. plea mm-hmm. because we will never get a jury of your peers. We will never get a fair jury. Yeah. You are a brown-skinned guy with a funny accent who has a foreign-sounding name. If we put you up in front of a jury, they will send you to prison for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. If we accept this prison, you know, you can get a lesser sentence. If we if we accept this plea, your sentence might be less. We might be able to get things like parole, but you have to plea. Mm-hmm. Um because we just don't think it's worth the risk of putting you in, even in front if of a you're jury. Innocent. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Even if you're innocent. Mm-hmm. And so um, by the time this this client reached me, it was there there was not a whole lot that I could do because he had accepted the plea right. and was gonna be spending most of the next 30 years of his life in prison. Um and these are the situations that our Muslim clients unfortunately experience when they come in contact with the criminal legal system. Um, what we claim would be a fair trial, a fair jury in front of your impartial peers is not really something that exists for all black and brown defendants. Mm-hmm. So criminal justice reform, reform of the legal system is definitely something that's important to the Muslim community as it is for all marginalized communities in Oklahoma. So and the, the NOI is a part of CARE, the Nation of Islam? Um, I mean, in terms of it's a part of the Muslim community. And so we serve the entire Muslim community. Okay. Okay. Just getting it straight from my head. Sure. Of course. (laughs) Of course. So for everything that we talked about, and there's even more on their website, what's your website? CareOklahoma.com. So C-A-I-R Oklahoma.com. And we're also on social media. Yes, yes, yes. Um, So there's more on the website than the things that I have pointed out today. I strongly encourage you to go take a look at it, read some of the articles on there. Um, But there is a Muslim Advocacy Day coming up. (laughs) Do you want to tell us about that, Nicole? (laughs) Absolutely. So it'll be March 13th, and it's our Advocacy Day for the community to come visit the Capitol. There will be trainings, kind of informational sessions. And then we also will help guide people to meet with their legislators and learn more about state government, how things work, how bills are passed or not passed, and just helping empower the Muslim community to use, engage with their civil rights, engage with their elected leaders, and just learn how everything works. Cool. And there is, it's like $30, right? Yes, there is a, there is a fee to register. um, And it's because we provide lunch and we provide a packet of advocacy materials for each participant as well as a T-shirt. Um, so it's really just to help us kind of cover those costs. But if cost is a, an issue for any attendant, we can certainly work something out to make sure that it's accessible to everyone. Cool, cool, cool. So everybody get your $30 ready so you can go and support the Muslim Advocacy Day at the Capitol. And um, with that being said, is there anything else that you guys want to say today? Muslim Day at the Capitol, I think, is for me, it's my favorite thing that we do because it's really important for our lawmakers to see Muslims in the halls of the people's house. Um, We often look at the legislature and see a very 
a limited picture of what Oklahomans look like Mm -hmm. because our lawmakers don't always reflect the diversity of our communities. And so it's really important that Muslims themselves and any other marginalized Oklahoman feels comfortable in the halls of the People's House, feels comfortable accessing their legislators, hearing as bills move through the process, understanding that process, because that is an, an, an integral part of moving the needle in Oklahoma. Um, we cannot change the direction that the state is moving in if we're not able to take part in that mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so days like Muslim Day at the Capitol are important, not only for the participants who get this really unique view into how state government works, but it's important for those in power to see this is what our community really looks like. Yeah. This is what Oklahoma really looks like. It is full of diversity. It's mm-hmm. full of people mm-hmm. with different religious beliefs, mm-hmm. different um, you know views of, of their conscience, different ideas about what a healthy, thriving state should look like. We cannot have power that does not reflect our community. And this is a step in that direction. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Shout out the possibilities for letting me record here. Other than that, we are out of here, y'all. Have a good day. Thank you. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.